The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome again to 442 Insider. This is the weekly program brought to you from the sports desk of the leading football magazine in the world, 442. I'm joined every week by the editorial team of the magazine to discuss all the leading topics in the sport from here at home and, of course, from around the world. Delighted to welcome publishing director Andy Jackson, the deputy editor Trevor Trahane, and the chief writer Aidan Ormond. And I suppose, fellas, there's no place better to start than success and success for the Socceroos, Andy, over Japan and, of course, qualification for the World Cup. Yeah, you know, obviously qualification was, was secured a couple of games ago, but, you know, they've gone through the whole process, second stage undefeated. You know, they had the, the clean sheet record went last night, but in a way, I thought that was good because it, it actually asked, it posed a different question than Socceroos. Um, you know, how would they react when they went 1-0 down? They answered it in the best possible way. You know, two great goals from Tim Kaye, who had his own sort of uh, yeah. answer to, to oh, certain yes. critics from that we won't go into. But, um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was very encouraging. You know, both teams were under strength, so it was, it was a good yardstick that an under strength Socceroos team can come from behind against the understrength Japanese team and win. What did we learn from that squad that uh, Pim used on Wednesday night against Japan? I think that Nicky Carl's a better, better option than Brett Holman. I think mm. you know, oh, yeah, 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 I he agree. had a far better yeah. game. He actually did something look like he might create something. Yeah. So I yeah. think Holman should be worried about his position. Yeah. Are you happy in where he played uh, Nicky? No, I've always thought Nicky is best just behind uh, somebody in the centre, yeah. uh, playing off a striker because he's good in, in tight situations. He can. We saw it late in the game when he just tricked a, a Japanese defender with a lovely bit of a back heel through the legs. I think that's where he's most dangerous. And I think not only um, uh, Nicky Carl for Holden, but I think Reese Williams has given us another option. Yeah, I thought given well. that he'd never played with this team before, debut 70,000 against a very good team, uh, I think we've got another option for another central defender in the post-2010 campaign or even as a right back. I think possibly I'd like to see him in, in the centre as well. But uh, I think, yeah, I echo all the comments of the boys that, uh, you know, it was, uh, I've been around long enough to know that we, we've played, the national team have played a certain way for many years. Yeah, but Andy, as you say, mm. you know, we knew before they went into that game against Japan that they had sort of secured a, a place on the plane. But it was magnificent to see the crowd there. Yeah, really oh, yeah fair oh. play to the Melbourne public. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm guessing that the majority of those bought their tickets as soon as they went on sale thinking that it might have been another replay of the Uruguay last minute but the fact that they still turned up and yeah. they still made mm. great noise that it was great what it said to me was that and, and this was backed up last Thursday and chatting to a few of the the players at the, the, the Australian Football Awards was that Pim has his system right he is going to play 4-2-3-1 mm throughout the, the, the preparation and at the World Cup and now he's looking at players in that formation so he's not going to change to a 4-4-2 you know he's now looking for 23 players three goalkeepers and you know 20 outfield players that can play 4-2-3-1 and if you don't fit into that system you're not going to be going to the World Cup so whilst I thought Nicky Cole showed some good flashes last night mm. I don't think he looked comfortable in that system the only position in that system he can really play is the one just behind, right. as yeah. you said, which arguably is the position that if Kale's fit, he owns. 
Mm-hmm. So I think, you know... Well, then maybe Kale is the second in line may, for that. Yeah. 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 Were all three of you happy with the, the way the defence performed? Not alone the defence, but the, the potential that he has if injuries uh, happen during, uh, you know, South Africa, that he has guys to slide in like uh, North going in there, Williams going in. Um, are you happy with those guys? Um, well, North's got plenty of experience and... Um, you know, I don't think he's a bad player to, to bring in to have as a backup. Yeah. I think it was quite interesting saying this in hindsight that Australia went behind and they went in at half time having conceded because mm. that's exactly what we need. We need different types of tests. I got so used to building on not conceding and grabbing a goal to have to come from behind was you know exactly the sort mm-hmm. of thing we need to be going through before the World Cup. So I think it was a, it was a good, good run out. Really. And I think also it was very clear that these were the two best teams in Asia. I mean, we've seen some, no disrespect to Bahrain, Uzbekistan and Qatar, but when we've played them, you can just tell the intensity is just slightly off. They're not quite at that level, but these two top 30 nations, you can just tell it had a feel to it. It's great as well that it was a dead rubber, but still had a lot of feeling. And what, what we saw as well, you know, in the, the likes of Tim Cahill and, and people like Vinny Grello and Kalina mm. and Neil, who, you know, when they needed to, they dug a little bit deeper last night and I think you know the the, the fact of the matter is is that we've done enough you know in in certain games we've done just enough Mm. but the difference is is that when the challenge is there the, the players will lift you know, yeah, the players will lift when they go to the World Cup. Let You'll get stop, an extra 10% Let me stop 10% you there for a minute, Andy. Isn't it very interesting, and, and I'd like your opinion on it, and like the, the guys as well, that in the first half we just played a sort of a straight-level sort of a game, and then in the second half we lifted. We've done the same against Bahrain. We did the same against, against Qatar. Against Uzbekistan as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Is that something that we, we have so, to get out of the system no, because we might be caught cold me, in the World Cup? It's a sign of a good side. That, yeah. Brazil. I mean, I'm not comparing Australia. Wins when you know that can dig deep when they need to. That doesn't, you know. I don't think Australia is ever going to be the sort of side that is going to go out and hammer people four and five nil. I don't think there's many of those sides left in world football, really, Mm. bar the likes of San Marino and Andorra. You know, generally teams that are pretty well drilled and pretty well coached, even if they're super, you know, way inferior in terms of ability and world rankings, can come and park the bus and you know make it difficult to be broken down they're never going to provide a threat at the other end but Mm. they're very difficult to break down and that's one of the challenges for sides like Australia is breaking those teams down so you will see a lot of 1-0s and 0-0s against sides that on paper you probably think shouldn't be doing that but by the same token we can go to a World Cup and do that to other sides as we saw against Italy I, ju- I just worry, Trevor, that you know, in the in the World Cup itself, that if we sort of go out and sort of play like we played in the last three games in the first half, that we might get caught and we might find ourselves not one goal down at halftime, but two or three. It, it's a totally different environment of the World Cup. It's you know, it's almost mm. a different sport compared to to, to qualifying because everyone's aware of the sort of one-off nature of the games. Now, I, I, I think that you have to build from the back. You have to have that base. And enough there would say about last night. I thought Lucas Neal was absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best. Yeah seen him play there was a few moments where something really you know I saw someone had done well was, who was that and every single time it was Lucas like he backed off for that clearance off the line yep. um, you know he, he dribbled out of the box at one time so I mean he's going to be really really important I think next I, year I know that the three of you scrutinised the game left right centre but Aidan let me ask you about uh, Jason Kalina I, I, I was disappointed in his performance too many passes gone astray um, I just thought he was he was off song yeah look Clearly, if you look at his stats, you'll see a lot more uh, loose passes than normal. But I think that was just one part of the game last night. I think uh, uh, when you look at the way we played, I agree that 
um, in years gone by, we tended to sort of play rush Russian three for the first 45 minutes and then we just kind of petered out. This is when we were slightly less probably like, let's say more naive national team mm. these days we're a lot more savvy and I think we can we can see as, as the boys have said in the second half when we have to lift and I think at the World Cup we will lift because it's a different mindset yeah, when right. you're playing Bahrain two days after you're qualified and you've just come back from Qatar it's, it's difficult to lift right but when you're playing at the biggest tournament in the world, you're going to lift. So I have no problems at all. I don't think we're going to get beaten in the group stage. We just need to get one win. Yeah, sometimes it's easier as well. It's, sometimes it's easier to play when teams let you play. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. look better when, right. when another team comes and doesn't put 10 men behind the ball. That yeah. creates space for you to work in. Yeah. But I think the key thing for me, which we know, but last night just proved again, is that Tim Cahill just has oh, one of the most amazing abilities in world football, I'd say, to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And not just in attack. What was interesting, there was, there was one where they were under the cosh in the last five minutes and they whipped a, cro- a corner in and it was Cahill that yeah. got up and headed it away at the right. far post. Yeah. And he just seems to have that ability to judge the flight of the ball quicker oh, yeah. than other players around him so for someone that's not the tallest the yeah. amount of ball he wins in the air mm. is phenomenal and it is mm. that speed with which he judges the mm. flight whether it's in attack and defence mm. and I think like he's, he's invaluable like, I, don't I, think, think I think somebody said on seven. the coverage last night that the, the next World Cup could be the World Cup where Tim Kelb goes from being a Premier League and Australian star to being yeah. perhaps a world star mm. and perhaps even a, a Real Madrid or Barcelona might look at him for a season or two yeah, depending sure. on his age obviously he could go to that level yeah and as you as you say and quite rightly point out Andy you know he has this great ability the other thing that he has and, and unfortunately it, it doesn't happen and it doesn't come off too often for him he parts with the ball gives a pass to a player and he then runs into such an intelligent position the unfortunate thing is that nine times out of ten the player he's given the ball to doesn't actually see where he wants the ball to be returned to him and goes off somewhere else but Kale has taken up some fabulous positions mm. I think yeah. he's, he's got that thing that you just can't teach yeah, exactly. yeah. That's I, I think he's, That's just, one, he's yeah. got the ability like we're saying to get into those positions I mean mm. the, the guy's a freak when he gets up I mean for the first goal he was towering above Kennedy alright before, um, before we leave uh, taking a look at the Socceroos and Japan uh, have any of you a concern about goalkeeping positions because if anything happens to Mark Schwarzer uh, in Premier League next season we have not tried another goalkeeper stacks of keepers oh, I think uh-huh. I think that this is something that we've spoken about a lot because who's going to succeed yeah. for the next campaign is probably the, the, the big issue we've got I think Pekovic is probably the number two right now because he's playing regularly at Sivaspor in, in yep. Turkey and then there's Federici so it's between those two they're basically untested. Last time I saw Pekovic, he dropped a ball in the, t- in the 2005 Confed Cup mm-hmm. against Tunisia. Yeah. So that put a question mark in front of him. Federici did well at the Olympics, but I'd, neither are really in the class of Schwarzer. Mm. I think I think he probably didn't try someone last night because I think you know, Schwarzer's yeah, yeah, yeah. pride would have liked to have shut out the whole yeah. side. But I think you might see him try someone else in the uh, game in August against Ireland um, because he may he may give Schwarzer the, the you know the yeah. the meat off to say look you know go and because uh, again I think you know um, Fulham will be starting a European campaign around that time which is pretty. Yeah, important. and they're yeah. actually touring here as well. So yeah. it's so a lot of travel. I, I yeah. think we'll see him try the others. But I think I think more importantly, he'll just watch 
who's in form for their club as the number as who's yeah the number two if Federici yeah. starts well with yeah. Reading and well, I've also found Nathan Coe I've also always yeah. fancied as a keeper so yeah. we've got a few options I just don't think they're in the class right now one, one, one final question about do, do you feel a little bit sorry for Scotty McDonald um Yes, I do, because yeah. I think he the system that Pim has chosen yeah. is a system that doesn't suit him. And I, and to be honest, I think I've got a real sneaking feeling that it may end up costing him a place in the World Cup squad because Pim has shown that he's not going to change that system. Mm. Or mate, you know, and, and I think he's, I think he might might only go with two, mate, two maybe three out and out centre forwards. Yeah. So the question is, will, will he be one of them? Um, but that doesn't mean that he's not in the top 23 players in Australia it means that he, is, he isn't suiting the system that, that Pim has decided it, to play it's, it's interesting Andy and, and, and you will certainly know this and, and, and Trevor and, and Aidan as well that when you look back at England's victory in 1966 I know it's a long way back you remember Ramsey had the same situation with Jimmy Greaves yeah. Greaves was scoring goals from the six yard box here's Scotty McDonald doing the same for Celtic mm. but uh, Greaves never got into the World Cup team mm. yeah you know, we're, we're, we're actually looking at a mirror of, of what happened in 66 for England. Mm. I mean, he did play a 4-4-2 towards the end there, but it's not his preferred system. And no. it, he won't ever play that at the World Cup. So um, for Scotty Mack, unless he can... I guess the only thing that he might do is, is he may have that as his fallback if he needs to really chase the game in the last 10 minutes to throw on Kennedy up there with you know, right. Scott McDonald and keep Kuehl on and keep Cahill on. Mm. Yeah. Not dissimilar to what Goose did against Japan where, mm. where at the end against Japan he had you know, Cahill, Viduka, Josh Kennedy, yeah. Aloisi were all on and he was pretty much throwing the kitchen yeah. sink at them. So yeah. he may, he may yeah, take right. him for Particularly that. Particularly if Viduka plays, I think Viduka and McDonald is actually a really good combination. All right. So here we are. We're all very, very happy. The uh, World Cup is uh, a destination that uh, all of you guys will be jumping on a plane and going down to uh, Johannesburg and beautiful parts of the world called Cape Town and all of those other places. We're going to take a break here. We'll be back to talk more on 442 Insider in a moment. Don't miss the new issue of 442, Australia's number one football magazine. The 442 team have been traversing the globe to bring you the best exclusive interviews with the stars of Australian football. We begin in Turkey, talking to superstar Harry Kuehl about his first season with Galatasaray and his thoughts on being played in defence. Then we're off to Moscow to catch up with Luke Wilkshire before returning to Aussie soil for the next instalment of our series on Gold Coast United, chatting to head coach Mirren Blyberg on the challenge of putting together a team capable of challenging for A-League honours in their first season. Mark Schwarzer joins the 442 team with his first exclusive column and interviews with Europe's most sought-after striker, David Villa, and French legend Marcel Desailly round off another jam-packed issue. The July issue is on sale at all good news agents or head to au.442.com to subscribe and get it delivered to your door. If it's in the game, it's in 442. Want to bet on the soccer? Come to betfair.com. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better odds yeah. and bigger yeah. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community, betfair.com. Betting as it should be. Promotional code PRT888. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider.
Welcome back to 442 Insider. Andy Jackson, the deputy editor, Trevor Trahane, and the chief writer, Aidan Ormond, are all sitting around the uh, table with me. And uh, we're going to start with the publishing director, Andy Jackson. Andy, a, a lot of uh, new stories going to be uh, featured in the next uh, month or so in your magazine. But this, um, this situation of players wanting to come back Stajowski goes to Perth yeah nice, signed nice. a three year deal which is yeah. uh, you know Perth are, Perth are looking pretty tasty now I think they're pretty, mm. pretty well um, you know, oh, yeah, we said that every, every pre-season yeah, we have. Have, like, <laughs> last three years but um, you know Millet he looks in pretty good form at the moment he's been mm. performing well for the Socceroos and you know again similar to uh, to Jason Colino it's great to see players coming back you know, at 27, 28, 29, when they've still got a good two or three years, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's going to be teaming up there with Jacob Burns as well. Yeah. Um, Daddy's there again, isn't he? And then they've, yeah. they've, they've got... Uh, Wayne it? Schroes, that's the two yeah. defensive screeners. If he does play a 4-2-3-1, which is mm-hmm. uh, Burns and Schroy, yeah, it's a yeah. pretty strong combination. One of the, the unknown factors is that Branko Jelic that they're, they're bringing back, who yeah. seems to have a pretty good scoring record. Well, let's hope it's nothing like Matej Jogic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think yeah, one so player described him as like running in treacle. Yeah, but so I, think, I think the A-League needs a competitive Perth glory. You know, and, oh, yeah, and sure. Perth certainly needs a competitive Perth glory because um, they need to get the fans back on side. And I, and I certainly, you know, take my hat off to, to Tony Sage. You know, he, he's, he's put his money in his pocket. You know, he's I, taken I, his money out of his pocket and delivered a couple of good signings, which hopefully will will get the crowds back. Yeah, I remember the uh, start of uh, the A-League uh, when we did a, a game or two in Perth and the crowds were magnificent. Like there was uh, 19, 23,000 um, at the game in the last year or so, eight and 9,000. So the, the, the support is there if you have got a good team. Oh, look, Perth has got a history. It's, got a very, it's a very British crowd as well. Yeah. So they've got a real tradition of supporting uh, their football teams. And we've said exactly the same thing every year since the A-League started. Mm. You know, they should do well, but they don't. I just get the feeling that maybe they have now actually turned the corner. Mm. Um, and they've also got Victor Sakura as well, which we've forgotten about mm. uh, no Nikita which is a, a huge loss yeah. but I think I think for, in terms of just now they've got some very experienced players uh, the goalkeeping situation is now sorted out they've got Tando and they've got uh, mm. Alex Viteski back so I think it's all looking good and they can they can pull mm. crowds of up to 15,000 regularly if they if do they, well if they do well yeah. good and, kit and, as well yeah. good Great. new kit I love, Best kit, I love a drop of stripe yeah <laughs> okay so, Trevor let me turn to you about um, Josh Kennedy where is he going to go because there was thought that he might come back here and um, I know his wife who used to play uh, basketball here a very good player as well and netball uh, she would like to come back but I, I don't think Josh will end up here really no they're saying the uh, the J League now we we're supposed to meet him the other week and that got called off and you know people are saying that perhaps he had to go to Asia to, to finalize the deal it's not a surprise move really because he's been doing so well for the Socceroos and they've been qualifying through Asia his kind of stock has risen um, in Asian sure. circles so you can you can see why a Japanese club probably gone from and um, the type of player he is if they can get the ball up to him in the Japanese league 194 centimetres I can see him scoring some goals mm. I think oh, yeah. we, we talked about this the other week which is about because of the profile of the Socceroos back here sometimes we probably overestimate their profile in Europe and I think Josh Kennedy would probably fall into that basket if you asked mm. the majority of Premier League managers or Championship managers or La Liga managers who's Josh Kennedy I'd say probably half of them wouldn't, wouldn't really know mm-hmm. whereas as Trev said because we're now qualifying through Asia you know the Asian market is now becoming I would say you know probably the, the tier two market behind the Premier League for Australian players because Absolutely. their stock is 
ratings higher, their currencies higher. They're seeing them. They're getting the A-League coverage over there. They're getting the Socceroos coverage over there now. So I think we'll see a lot more of, uh, of the players maybe making a step, mm. a stop off in Asia on the way back to Australia after they've been to Europe. And, and with the visas as well, the increased yeah. visa numbers as well. Yeah, that, that makes it even better for us. The, the, the other interesting thing about Asian football, and, and we saw that uh, actually if you saw the Korean game uh, this week, uh, South Korea and, and the North Koreans, they are all starting to cross the ball into the middle. And even though they don't have big, tall strikers like a Kennedy, and like I think if, if they have people crossing the ball to a Kennedy, he could, he could actually you know make hay while the sun shines up there. Well, well theoretically, I think... The J League has always gone for foreign strikers mm. um, because they they have a lack of stri- for some reason they play very pretty football leading up but they lack that cutting edge so he would be an ideal signing for either Nagoya and I would love to see him play against uh, the play he played against last night who plays for URA Red Diamonds yeah. in the J League that would be another great uh, battle, yeah, battle battle yeah between the two Trevor what about United. Australia United. Australia United. I might defer to these two. Actually, he's talking about the uh, the World Cup being, and these two are lucky enough to um, to go to Canberra to find out more about it. <laughs> yes. And are still sporting his oh, silicon wristband. Uh, he's got his blue bag. Back in the bed. <laughs> Did you enjoy your trip to the capital city? Look, uh, look <laughs> Canberra is a place I always look forward to going to. And uh, liar, uh, <laughs> look forward to. No, no. Look, it was an, it was it was a great day. It was a you, you did feel that you were part of history. Oh, sure. Um, and it was uh, they uh, re- redecorated the Great Hall in Parliament House like a football stadium. Yeah. Had some pretty good entertainment. It was very uh, people oriented. The bid is about the community, the people together. Um, the politicians spoke passionately, which they always do. Doesn't matter what they talk about. Um, so I think it left a very good feeling in uh, in everyone's sort of mouths about what we've got ahead of us. It's a massive job, though, but we've got a good start. We've got a good base. I've, I mean, I've just written a blog yesterday on the website about it, and I, and I think that, that Australia sort of pitched their bid in the right area in that you know they're not going to be able to compete with David Beckham fronting the sure. England bid you know that's a global football icon which we don't have yeah. the, you know then you've got Obama and Schwarzenegger <laughs> yeah. so we, you know, we're not going to win the celebrity battle and I think the key right. thing is is that Australia you know is a country that people would love to come to you know the, the scenery sure. the space yeah. the relative safety um, you know it's not necessarily a, a footballing nation mm. on, the, on the par with England but it's certainly as a destination for people to travel to it's right up there mm. and I think focusing on that and focusing on the people and the stories around Australian football I thought they got yeah. that spot on no I, I think you're, you're, mm. you're correct I and, think and I think the video FIFA, is FIFA does oh the, the, the video was incredible the video is great yeah. Yeah. I think great. FIFA looks when you look at a World Cup you, you, you have all the basics in place from stadia accommodation IT infrastructure all of that and I think we've got all of the key basic building blocks for a World Cup there'll obviously be a little bit building on that so in terms of the actual requirements which they'll put in the, the bid book by May 2010, I think that we've got all the basics there. And also, you've got to remember that there have been hooligan issues in Europe. Like 2002, that, that problem will be resolved completely by having a World Cup here. I think, I think the key thing, though, for FIFA that they will need to be convinced of, which is why it's important that, that every football fan in Australia gets behind this bid and gets onto the website, is, is that they will need to be convinced that they could sell out a game in a 50,000 stadium between two teams that will have less than 1,000 supporters here. 
you know, if Burkina yeah. Faso qualify yeah. and they're playing against, uh, you know, the, a low, like Bahrain or and the yeah, game's right. in Perth, will they sell out a 50,000 crowd? Because that's what's important to FIFA as well. Mm. So it's important that they look at the Australian bid and say, right, it is the rem- most remote place that we could take the World Cup to from a travelling perspective. And of course, the big teams will be well supported as always. Mm. But is the Australian public passionate enough about football to fill out every game? But and I, that's I, what we need to convince them yeah, of. I think I, we saw in the Olympics in 2000, a yeah. lot of those so-called minor events were really well supported because it sure. was the Olympics. We'd never had it, well, since 56. And I think I think with the migrant migrant communities in this, this country, a lot of African supporters will just go to an African nation anyway I, I think I think we'll, we'll get it well supported I, th- I think so yeah. as well but we've got to but prove to, that yeah. my, my, my that's why going on the website of yeah. course my only is. concern is that there was talk uh, talk on Sunday again about playing the game in Tasmania do you think we would have have we got a stadium in Tasmania I, I, I think in, when they're talking about the eight cities my understanding is all Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney yeah. are kind of almost there and then the other five they were talking about was Adelaide, um, Perth, Adelaide, Perth. Perth, Canberra, Gold Coast, and possibly Townsville's the other five. Tasmania, but also, the, they weren't. It wasn't necessarily talking about building a stadium to host games. It was where teams might need to be based as well, yeah. because you've got to have thirty-two bases for teams. So you could very easily base a team in Tasmania who played in Melbourne mm. and played in yeah, Adelaide. Yeah, right. You know, so it's not just about mm. the stadium where the games are. Mm. It's about you know the country accommodating 32 teams for a period of you know two three and four weeks and, and that's so. where new south wales comes in because you can base teams on the on in on the central coast canberra and wollongong who play in new south wales yep yeah so um there's plenty of uh, even newcastle i guess but i mean the, the key the key figure in all of this for me is frank lowey you know he yep. is the man that can sure that can you know operate at that level he's on the FIFA committee now you know and what was clear from the launch was that both Malcolm Turnbull and Kevin Rudd just said you know Frank Lowe when he comes to you is a man that you don't say no to easily you know and that's what we need you know we need someone who's going to get Australia on the agenda and then behind that we need we all Mm. everyone that's involved in football at any level and the football media needs to give him a really good story to tell because he'll open those doors I'm delighted that the two of you felt so passionate about the whole thing it it was a great launch and um, we just uh, keep our fingers crossed for 2018-2022 okay we'll take a break here we'll be back for halftime oranges in a moment hair removal has always been a slow and expensive process and can sometimes be a quite painful experience not anymore that's all changing with new technology from Magnatech by touching the e-pen to the hair it sends a gentle current of energy down the hair to the cell which permanently and painlessly destroys the hair cell hair will never grow back again. The e-pen is perfect for shaping eyebrows and other embarrassing facial hair. For larger areas, use the conductive patches, great for legs, underarms and even bikini line. Unlike electrolysis that can be both painful and expensive and could cause scarring, using the e-pen is totally pain-free. Can you imagine a time when you never have to shave or pluck or wax? Well, you can with the Versio e-pen. Only $179 plus postage and handling. Here's how to order. Call 1-800-200-109. That's 1-800-200-109. That's 1-800-200-109. Call now. Want to bet on the soccer? Come to Betfair.com. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better odds yeah. and bigger yeah. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community. Betfair.com. Betting as it should be. 
Promotional code PRT888. Back to 442 Insider. Okay, welcome back to uh, 442 Insider and uh, sitting around the table, the guys. Listen, fellas, this is half time, um, but there's a lot of funnies around. A lighter look at the game. Trevor, you always come up with some uh, goodies. It's too much pressure now. This isn't that good, actually. But it's another one from South America. Um, and it's an interesting new goal bonus that they've set up at racing. Uh, Franco Sozal's promised a, um, a bonus from his manager if he managed to score, but he just said it, the value would be around 3,000 pesos, which I think is nearly 1,000 Australian dollars. And he did manage to score, and he was rewarded with a flat-screen TV and a full day of massages at the top spa. So I'm uh, full motivated to keep scoring now. Well, how many yeah. TVs does he want? <laughs> well, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Maybe he'll get a bicycle. That was a, a prize that was offered to someone in Africa. Oh, they got they, pigs in Spain as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they offered a guy in Africa, if he scored a goal, that he'd get a bicycle. Did Roger thought, Federer like, get cows? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what sort of massage was it? It doesn't go into, um, doesn't go into detail. detail. It's a full day of massages at a top spa. So. Well, let's anyway, on anyway. that happy yes. ending. I, I, I didn't want to say that. I'm surprised because you, you're such a great journalist, Trevor, that you didn't actually find out what sort of massage it was. Oh, I haven't got many contacts in Argentina. So. <laughs> okay, where's the next funny coming from, Andy? Um, mine, mine was sort of not so much funny ha-ha but just funny at the hypocrisy of uh, the Daily Telegraph who we, we're not, we won't dwell too much on the weekend because we know what they, what they tried to do and what they did but I just found it funny as I, I, I must say I didn't buy it I just picked it up on the train this morning someone had left it and I, I was astonished to see on page 78 where they talk about Tim Cahill uh, his sour grapes spoiling the Socceroos performance but that didn't stop them on the, the facing page trying to sell a signed Tim Cahill Hill lithograph for $595 and I just find the hypocrisy of it oh, hilarious yeah. that you know they're, they're trying to sabotage the World Cup bid and you know and take the shine off things and, and have singled out Tim Cale personally but they're still quite happy to try and make money on, on him mm. the following on the, on the next page with their official memorabilia products so, uh, so that was mine Mm. No, I, 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 um, you, you just mentioned it, but I've come across a lot of people who will refuse to buy the Telegraph and are refusing to buy the Telegraph now over. And mm. I, I don't know whether the people in there, in the Telegraph, realise the damage they're doing by running... I think they do realise it, and that's, the, that's, the, the, that's, the, that's the aim agenda. of it. But I think, I think the interesting time is going to come when, you know, I mean, footballers notoriously have got lot, you know, long memories. And I think the time will come next May or June when they're going to want to get as much access as they can get and it'll yeah. be interesting to see you know, whether the players remember this because certainly oh. the, a lot mm. of them on yeah, what, Thursday what, were, were, that's were the really one, what if we get know, to the quarterfinals of the FIFA World Cup and uh, suddenly the Daily Telegraph is doing lift out covers and what have you yeah. and suddenly the players won't speak to them that's the one thing you just mentioned that is going to be uh, players have long long memories and they picked yeah, the wrong player they picked the wrong player to mess yeah. with I mean exactly. Tim Cale is going to be a star at this next World Cup if he's fit and he's yeah. ready to go wrong player but uh, 
Yeah. But like, you know, if, if you write a story and, and we're with the four journalists sitting around the table, if you're going to write a story, you've got to check the sources if somebody comes and tells you something. Or you have somebody there who is witnessing it. And I've spoken to a girl who was there at the, at the bar with the people. And she said there was nothing. The barman just turned around and said, sorry, folks, it's 3.30 a.m. You've got to go and end mm. the story. But how can they make a, a story out of that, a front page story out of it, when even the two journalists that wrote the story weren't even there? But we are, t- we are talking about an editor of the Sunday Telegraph who, uh, who you know, was convinced that the Pauline Hansen picks were genuine. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's like, this is what we're dealing with. And I think that, you know, part of me says the fact that we're talking about it is what they want to draw attention yeah. but the other part is, is if football fans just ignore it and yeah. go to the places and the media outlets that are supporting the game yeah, mm. yeah exactly that's what we can hurt, do them, the bottom yeah. line is it's like people who complain about the paparazzi but rush out and buy the, the glamour weeklies and just devour oh, yeah, them. they're yeah. part of the problem yeah, yeah. You know, that's you, why you know. so the best thing that we can do is just ignore it because yeah. it's funny you bring that up Andy because one of the, the funny stories if I can say that in, in a football programme is Paris Hilton Paris Hilton goes around talking on television about the paparazzi and all of the, the problems they cause her. And she actually rings them up and yeah. says, hey, I'm with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Come around. <laughs> yeah. oh, I just think it's crazy. I'm just really glad that the name Paris Hilton's actually been mentioned on a 442 podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. uh, excellent. But, uh, well, it's Trevor's line in last week's newsletter that uh, oh, Cristiano's yeah. were... And it was it? He's he was signed uh, for Madrid, but he's geographically challenged because he ended up in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and you have a funny. Oh, look, it's, it's funny. for me. It's got to be Pim Verbeek singing the national anthem on Fox Sports last night. I missed it. Well, it, I'm seeing it. It was one of the most extraordinary pieces of television <laughs> I have ever seen. This it was, yeah. yeah. Basically, I, and I don't know why, but Simon Hill said, look, do you want to sing the national anthem? Somebody teed him no, up. No, it, no, this is a thing that's the, been going on for a while. Yeah, right. It, it, and he had the lyrics in front of him. Yeah. Um, and he sang it. And I've got to say that he sang it a lot better than most of us do. Exactly. Because he didn't, exactly. he wasn't out of key. He wasn't no. a great singer, but he certainly sang a lot better than any one of us could. Mm. And he did a great job. I mean, this is a guy whose English is his second language. Which I thought he did a fantastic job. That was the moment where Pim truly became Aussie Pim, yeah. and I think from this point on, he's qualified us for the World Cup. He's what we're five points ahead of Japan in the group stage. We won it by very easily, and he sang the national anthem on national uh, television. television. Yeah, he could have easily said, "Nah, that's ridiculous," yeah, right. but he's done it. Straight into the Props camera. To your pim. Straight into the camera. Fantastic yeah, job. Exactly. All right, a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk more on Four Four Two Insider. Don't miss the new issue of 442, Australia's number one football magazine. The 442 team have been traversing the globe to bring you the best exclusive interviews with the stars of Australian football. We begin in Turkey, talking to superstar Harry Kuehl about his first season with Galatasaray and his thoughts on being played in defence. Then we're off to Moscow to catch up with Luke Wilkshire before returning to Aussie soil for the next instalment of our series on Gold Coast United, chatting to head coach Miran Blyberg on the challenge of putting together a team capable of challenging for A-League honours in their first season. Mark Schwarzer joins the 442 team with his first exclusive column and interviews with Europe's most sought-after striker, David Villa and French legend Marcel Desailly round off another jam-packed issue. The July issue is on sale at all good news agents or head to au.442.com to subscribe and get it delivered to your door. If it's in the game, it's in 442. Want to bet on the footy? Uh, uh, Come to uh, uh, betfair.com Betfair punters bet against each other Yep, yep, yep. Uh to get better Better odds yeah, and bigger yeah. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community, betfair.com. Betting as it should be. Promotional code PRT888. 
the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider. The publishing director, Andy Jackson, is here. So is the deputy editor, Trevor Trahane, and the chief writer, Aidan Ormond. And we're discussing football and the world game. And, uh, fellas, we have to talk about the world game, take the spotlight away a little bit from uh, the Australian, the local scene. Real Madrid, what is going on at Real Madrid? Where are they getting this money? I want to know, because I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> well... Did a bit. Did. It seems like they, they're getting it from sort of three or four sources. Really, one is loans from different banks who are financing each different player as it comes up. The other one is the government, which they seem to uh, have a sort of direct line of credit with the, with the mm. Spanish government. And then the, they are also sort of still. A lot of people talk about Barcelona's membership base, but they are Real Madrid operate the same system. So they have around eighty thousand members that pay an annual sure. fee. Um, aside from ticket sales. So, you know, I think the thing is, is that they've proven with Beckham that they can turn these signings into a profit, you know, and, and depending on who you talk to about Beckham's worth to Real Madrid, some will say it was around two to 300 million US dollars. Others will say it was near a seven to 800. And the key thing in these negotiations these days is image rights. And Beckham signed over his image rights when he left Man United to Real Madrid. And he was willing to do that. And Real Madrid have a policy that they insist on maintaining all image rights of their players. So if Ronaldo and Kaká have done that same deal, in return for what is yeah, yeah. A, a massive salary, both of them, you know, that's where Real Madrid get their money back. So they go to a bank and say, we're going to spend let's say $100 million on the, the, the world's best footballer or the last two years' world's best footballers and we think the return is going to be between five, six, seven hundred million million each over the next three years and it's, yeah, not but bad, it's not a bad deal really. All four of us are passionate about the game but you know, I, have to, I got to the stage where I start to question um, and say, is a player like Kaka and, and Cristiano Ronaldo worth all that money, 80 million and whatever? If, if they earn it back on things like Andy was talking about, yeah, I mean, there's an interesting comment at the bottom of the online story that we did where someone was saying, I was going to get a Kaka shirt now I'm going to get a Ronaldo one. wonder how many places around the world that discussion's being made and dad, dad's a Talking out 140 bucks and what have you for a shirt. Perez, the um, the president, new yeah, yeah the new president of Real Madrid, who was the president before when he bought in Beckham and all that. He also signed Zidane for a then a world record fee, and he said about the Zidane transfer that he was the cheapest player he'd ever bought. And what he meant by that is, well, to get back because, over a long period. Because you know? I mean, could you pick up any newspaper anywhere in the world after the Ronaldo transfer and not read about about that? Mm. Imagine how many, you know, shirts are going to yeah. sell. And mm. I mean, the other thing, like on the business side, because it is an area that I do like yeah. looking into is the business side of things. Is that Real Madrid's Real Madrid, um, whilst they are one, if not the richest clubs in the world, only around five percent of their turnover comes from outside Europe. So Man United lead the way in global, you know, sort of the, the share of their revenue that comes from outside of Europe. And they're looking at that. So Cristiano Ronaldo's profile is way beyond Europe. You know, Asia with what he's done with Man United oh, yeah. is huge. He's a current world player of the year. Same with Kaka. Kaka's got a global sponsorship deal with Sony that is currently putting him on TV screens from, unfortunately, an AC Milan shirt. I was going to ask about but, that. You know, we are watching the Socceroos game last night and we see Kaka in That's an right. AC Milan shirt. Yeah. So Real Madrid are very, very smart with 
this because they brought in two players that will raise their profile right. and their mm. their revenues globally outside Europe and that's something that they're, they're very smart about and Andy how does the image rights situation work can you just explain that because I'm keen to know more well the, the image rights work is, is that you know if you're David Beckham you know, and believe me, oh, it doesn't no, look yeah, anything okay. like it. Okay. Let's Dodge say you're Fra- let's say you're Frank Ribery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and your name means something. They're going to sell shirts with your name on. You are quite within your rights, uh, or your agent is quite within their rights to ask for a percentage of that because without you, they don't make that sale. And with certain players like Beckham, seven, Ronaldo, seven being a great example, Ronaldinho, ten. There's there's names and number combinations that increase that value so it's a real simple negotiation it's one thing you can negotiate as a player is the the rights to your name so you can either take a reduced salary and take a share of your rights exactly the same as as film stars do you know like some film stars have been lined up for the big franchise movies they'll take a lower fee but they'll say I want a percentage of global sales and DVD sales and you know Blu-ray sales Mm. as well as the box office so it's all about understanding the, the, the worth of your name other than just what you do on the pitch you know so mm. that's my salary for the pitch and then it was a big deal with the Beckham transfer was that, that and that was one of the reasons why Man United were, were happy to offload him was that he was on an image rights deal and wanted more but then he actually wanted to go to Real Madrid and was happy to concede that to Real Madrid mm. which basically meant that they were they were confident that they could pay him the salary and pay mm. the transfer yeah, whatever. and like mm. Trev said they were confident because they'd seen it with Zidane and other players like that that they would get their money back OK Trevor where do they go from Kaka and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo do they sign other people are there other people out there they could afford I think so yeah I mean it'd be interesting to see who, who they go out and sign I mean they've been talking about uh, Ribéry and uh, David Villa and mm-hmm. stuff but they reckon that's fallen down slightly I don't those, think Villa will go there that, uh, no. that negotiation well, well I think he's bumped he's, their prices up now they've seen what they've paid yeah. for yeah. Yeah. Well, if he's worth that then Ribéry's just worth another 10 million yeah, yeah I, I think they might need to sign a defender as well at some point because that's what they didn't, yeah. they didn't do last time and uh, a world class centre back will help them out just as much as yeah, fi- finally before we, we turn to another subject which I want to talk about the draw for the World Cup like is, is all this spending of this money going to guarantee Real Madrid success? Didn't before. Exactly. You know, and that's why you know, there's a debate about is it good for the game but what you've also got to look at is the, the, the quality of players that are about to be released by Real Madrid that are going to go yeah. to other teams. Yeah. You know, people like Wesley Snyder, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Ian Robin. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all now, they've just been told that they've got no future at Real Madrid. So, okay, so they you know, Via Ribery, Ronaldo, Kaka come in. Other great quality players go out, often at much reduced Price, sort of yeah. prices to other teams. And it balances itself out. Self out. Yeah, they might they might win a, a European Cup, but they've won European Cups before. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I don't think it. I don't necessarily think it's bad for the game. I think I think the issue for the selling clubs though is it's all very well getting eighty million as long as you can replace the quality of player. Mm-hmm. That's that's the key thing, and that's where Ferguson has always been a master at before. Is he let Beckham go when he knew he had a replacement in Ronaldo? Mm-hmm. And I'll be really interested to see who he's got 
got lined up because there's no way that he would he would have let Ronaldo go without a plan in mind. Stay tuned. We we'll see what will happen in the uh, coming weeks. Finally, before we go, we started with the uh, success of the Socceroos against Japan, and of course their success in their match into the World Cup. The World Cup draw, Trevor, will be made in uh, December. Normally, usually around November, December. Yep, Cape Town, fourth of December. Fourth of December. Um, everyone's going to find out who they're going to be playing. I thought it might just be interesting to you know start the discussion with who we might want to play and who we might want to avoid, and also. Um, the planning after that 4th of December through to the World Cup is quite important. So say, you know, you get an African team, which is quite likely, um, you can then line up some friendlies and start preparing yourselves for, for playing these sorts of teams. And, you know, this is genuinely a question. I wonder, you know, what types of teams would we suit playing? You know, would, would we be keen to avoid the African teams or, you know... Would, South would America. The, yeah, would, you know, would South America be a problem? Because the way it splits down, we've got 13 qualifiers from Europe, six from Africa, five from South America, three from North and five from Asia. See, the, the one advantage, why I mentioned uh, South Africa uh, or South America is, of course, because of the altitude. And, of course, you're going to have that problem in, in South Africa as well. So it actually would be, would be good for uh, the Socceroos to at least play one or two games at high altitude. I know you won't go to Bolivia because it's 3,500 feet above sea level, and that would kill you after 20 minutes. But like they could go to places like La Paz or somewhere like that where it's not too bad and it would suit them in their performance in South Africa and I think also just looking at the draw it, 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 it is possible that we could play the Oceania team in, in our group because if the New Zealand defeat the third best team on, on both sides of the AFC mm. draw it, the irony would be that we're playing our neighbours but they're in different confederations mm. and that would be great for us to play them because I think that's that's a they were terrible you, the you other can't night. get drawn against another Asian team that's right but you could get drawn yeah. against the Oceania team mm. yeah. so um, yeah. that would be good but uh, um, what about what about England? <laughs> oh, yeah, we've been England. talking about it. I've just got a sneaking feeling it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, look, we spoke, Lucas. Yeah, went to Melbourne to speak to to Lucas Neal on Monday and asked him that question: anyone you'd really like to avoid? And straight away said England. He goes, I, I know it would be a, a, a big deal for us to happen, but he said, it's, it's just not a game that I'd fancy playing in the group stages. It would be the ashes and everything would be drawn up, wouldn't they? And, you know, they'd churn the whole thing up. That know. would be probably the ratings winner uh, of the oh, year. Oh, I mean, the, yeah. the game of the century, wouldn't I'm it? I'm surprised Lucas would say that because... I, I was mean, very surprised. Really, at the end of the day, you probably think he'd probably prefer to play England. Mm. The team the team I would, if I was in the uh, Socceroo team, the team that I would not like want to, to face would be Germany. They're yeah. a very good side. Mm. I think if you look methodical. at the pots, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to pull out, you know, obviously one of the top eight sides yeah. in the seed. So, you know, you're going to look at sort of Italy, England, France, Spain, Germany, Argentina, mm. Brazil. Um, and then they're going to, they're not going to draw an Asian team. So it's odds yeah. on that they're going to get an African team. Yeah. And then they're probably going to get another second tier European team or, uh, or so, you know, or another yeah, someone from what would be North great. America. What would be great, Andy, is if they drew South Africa. If yeah, I mean, looking at the, the Confederations Cup, that yeah. wouldn't be a bad draw, actually. Right. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it could end up being, if Portugal 
sneak through as one as, as one of the, the the worst performing European sides. You could end up with, you know, sort of Italy, Portugal, you know, someone like. Ivory Coast or you know and mm. and Australia and that would be a really tough group yeah and of course we played Ivory Coast at the Olympics as well yeah. so we've got some experience of playing an African nation there a European in Serbia and uh, who else did we play at the Olympics I can't remember now Argentina Argentina, Argentina of course yeah, yeah. No, I, I think uh, Germany would be a bad one out of Europe for them because I think the Germans are very methodical and they would be able to counteract the, the, the uh, format that Tim has put out at that the moment. That would be Germany versus Holland, really, when you think about it. I, mm. guess, the, I guess the other conundrum, which is like from the last World Cup, obviously Australia drew their toughest game second. That's, would you want, if you draw, drew an Italy or a Germany, I'd always want them first mm. because I think when those guys lose games, it's generally their first game out or when the shop results and when they're getting into their stride and even though you run the risk of losing your first game and putting the pressure on it's also probably your best chance of, of nicking a point or getting a result against no, the bigger sides I, I, I'd like the idea of playing the yeah. easiest side first get really? the points in the bag yeah. get it, um, get Unf- it over and done with unfortunately uh, fellas the uh, clock has caught up with us and uh, that's it for uh, this week's edition of uh, 442 Insider uh, maybe next week when you all get together you can bring in what you think is the, the fourth teams are the three teams you'd like to play in in a group uh, you can discuss all that next week but from this week's edition of 442 insider goodbye 442 insider is a helms media solutions production visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services